Welcome to episode two of Internet Sleuths, where we try to solve the web's, the world's unsolved cases. Defrost, Greta. Defrost, I'm sorry, because they're cold cases. Oh, one day. One day you'll say defrost. I'll make it a thing. You can't make it a thing. I'm not going to remember. What if we made our own thing? It's like forensic files, but it's a play on words with defrosting. Defrosting files. (laughs) Like for cold, it sounds like for cold cases they put the cases the, the case files in the freezers. <laughs> yeah, they're just cold. they're just thawing out. <laughs> no, oh, that's, that's not. But today we've got two cases for you all. Very exciting. One's longer than the other, as it was last time. I hit my lemonade down really hard. Sorry. Well, I suppose we should just jump right into them. There's nothing yeah. else to say. We should just get on with the cases. Greta's going first this time because she's got a short one and I've got a long one. Oh, I'm excited. Ooh. You've been telling me about yours, kind of. I've been dying to tell Greta this case since I watched a video on it. I'm very excited. Imagine so, if you don't even like it. That's not going to happen, is it? So <laughs> when have I not liked a true crime case? That's so true. That's well, true. I mean... It's true that you don't, you never not liked true crime case. That is such an ugly sentence. Oh my god. <laughs> it's like got like Jeez. a triple negative in it. That's my life. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get into the cases, we just want to say we don't mean any offence to anyone that we talk about in these cases. We are just trying to discuss the cases have a little educational discussion this is just information that we've compiled and we're now retelling to you anyway onto the cases today i'm going to be telling you about the bedgebury forest woman Ooh, mm, another one with a outdoor space i want to call it fancy that's not the right word I love how you went for fancy name and I was like, outdoor space. <laughs> um, yeah, not quite the same line of thought, but neither of us were wrong. Just true. Let's get into it. On Tuesday, the 23rd of October, 1979, a woman was riding on horseback through the Bedbury Forest in Kent in England. Oh, yeah. When she made an unexpected discovery... She discovered the body of a woman who had been beaten, mutilated, murdered, and dumped on the trail. Uh, it was evident that little had been done to conceal the body, and on top of a horse, it's a good height mm-hmm. to see things, and it was very easy to spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, by looking at the body, you could tell she had suffered massive head injuries from the beating, and police believe she had been killed up to five days prior to her discovery. Ooh. Near the body, a blood-stained wooden stake was found, and this was concluded to be the murder weapon. No handbag or any items of identification were found with the body. Is she a vampire? <laughs> Sorry, no I wish, I wish that was where this was going, but it's not, I don't think. In fact, this was quite a problem, as the severity of the injuries to the woman's head and body made identification impossible. The police concluded that she was aged between 30 to 35. She was 5 foot 1 and she had a thin build. She had brown eyes and her hair was its natural colour, dark brown, which was straight and around shoulder length. It is believed that she may have originated from Eastern Europe. 
Since she was unidentifiable, police decided that the way they were most likely to find out her identity was her clothing. She was wearing black shoes, a black polo neck jumper, a yellow blouse, and most notably, a floral black and white dress with a white belt and gold buckle. Ooh, fancy. Yeah. The dress was found to have been made from furniture fabric and probably bought from a charity shop or second-hand shop. It had been altered at the hem and the chest area. This led police to believe that the woman was very poor and possibly from the north of England. I don't know how that conclusion of the dress makes them think she was northern. Yeah, like, you can shop at charity shops if you have money. And also if you're from the south of England. They just hate the north. Um, That's just weird. (laughs) I mean, this was the 70s. Late 70s, yeah. Oof. An autopsy was done, and it was revealed that she actually had an ectopic pregnancy, which had been present for four to six weeks, and bleeding for two to three weeks. This means that she would have been in severe pain, and may have visited a doctor for something like appendicitis, because the pain would have been on her right side. She also had stretch marks on her stomach, which was an indication that she had probably given birth to at least one child. This is sad. Hmm. Her molars were very worn down, and she had wisdom teeth, which indicated that she was at least 30 years old, and there was no evidence that she had ever visited a dentist. She had noticeably decayed teeth, and no nicotine staining was found on her hands, teeth, or lungs, which meant that she didn't smoke. Good. Also, whilst looking at her lungs, they saw that they did not exhibit the carbon deposits typical of someone who lived in the city. So this probably meant that she lived in the countryside. Police believe the woman was of no fixed address and was a regular hitchhiker along the M1 and M6 motorways and may have had a connection with the Vale of Evesham, which is in the West Midlands in England. There was also a possibility that she was working as a sex worker in Spitalfields in London. There's not much on the initial investigation, but police searched the missing persons databases at New Scotland Yard and the UK Social Services. As well as this, hospitals and doctor's surgeries were examined for people who matched the description of the woman. Uh, and there was a large post that was launched not just in the UK, but also in Europe. Oh, that's good. Mm-hmm. But uh, despite all these efforts, no leads were found, and the woman was given a pauper's funeral in Tunbridge Wells, which was only attended by police officers. It remains in an unmarked grave at Hawkenbury Cemetery. That's very sad. Mm-hmm. After this, the case went cold for almost two decades. Another attempt at gathering information was done via Crime Watch in 1984. Hell yeah! <laughs> which, as we talked about in the last episode, was a programme which reconstructed major unsolved crimes in order to gain information from the public. Uh, which could assist in solving the case. In particular, the police were appealing to the person or people who had made, sold and altered the dress which the victim was wearing to come forward, but I don't think anything came of that straight away. In October 1998, the case was reopened. This was due to an investigation on the archived evidence being done by forensic scientists. This case was one of many that had been reopened due to a new DNA technique that enabled the generation of DNA profiles from much smaller samples than had been previously possible. 
The size of these samples they could now analyse were about as small as a single blood cell or a flake of skin. So that's pretty small. Yeah. Wow. These new lines of inquiry led the investigation team to the north of England, and they were particularly interested in looking at, one, the movement of lorry drivers, and two, locating the family of the victim. Detectives also made inquiries in Worcestershire, where the black and white dress the victim wore is thought to have been sold at a jumble sale in April 1978. I'm very interested into how they could track down a dress to a jumble sale, so specifically. Jumble sale. Yeah. How, I don't the, know. What kind of auditing goes place? I mm-hmm. can't sentence. I think someone may have come forward saying that they sold the dress or... They made the dress uh, from the crime watch thing, but it's uh, so specific for a jumble sale where the yeah. randomness stuff happens. Mm-hmm. Police appealed to residents of Grimsby for help naming the mystery woman. Interestingly, the body of a second woman was also discovered in Bedgebury Forest in 1982. Uh, the victim was 46-year-old Jean Brooke, and she was a mother of three. She was found beaten to death in the undergrowth just a mile from where the first body was discovered in 1979. But police stressed they didn't think the deaths were connected, but they were looking into other murders for any similarities to the Bedgebury Forest woman case. Was she, that woman killed the same way? Like, she was beaten to death. That's all I could see. That's all I saw. I don't think there was a wooden stake. They would have said so. Yeah. Interesting. I could be wrong though. I didn't look too much into that case, but from what I read, it just said she was beaten to death. Aww. In 1999, just three months after the case was reopened, the first arrest in connection to the case was made. Harry Pennells, 75 at the time of his arrest, was charged with the woman's murder. He would have been 54 at the time of the murder, and he was a lorry driver for Henley's Transport which was based in Kent. Uh. He'd actually originally been questioned by police a few days after the discovery of the body, and he'd been interviewed three times between 1979 and 1980, and was one of a number of suspects, but he hadn't been charged during the initial investigation. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. The victim apparently held a very strong resemblance to a young hitchhiker he had taken in his cab a few days before the murder. Specks of blood found in his lorry cab and in a sleeping bag inside the lorry were later linked to the deceased in the trial using the new forensic analysis. Pennell's trial started on the 4th of May 2000 at Maidstone Crown Court. So this is how the trial went. He was accused of picking up the woman at Spitalfields Market in London on the 19th of October 1979. He then took her to West Yorkshire for a delivery and then dropped her off again in South London on the morning of the 20th of October. It was then that they said he beat the victim to death with a wooden stake. Right. Pennells told the court that he did actually pick up a female hitchhiker, and admitted that the hitchhiker may have been the victim, but he claimed that he had dropped her off alive and was innocent of her murder. Witnesses called by the prosecution said that they had seen a woman matching the victim's description in Bedgebury Forest on the 21st of October 1979, which is a day after the estimated time of murder. Two witnesses who were at the West Yorkshire Lorry Depot stated that they saw and spoke to a young woman who was with Pennells. 
staff at the Henley Transport's Rochdale depot also stated that they saw Pennell with a woman with a similar appearance to an artist's impression made of the victim. Samples of blood and flakes of hair found in a sleeping bag on the passenger seat of the lorry matched the DNA profile of the victim. Additionally, particles of foam from a mattress in the cab of the lorry were found on the victim's dress. This guy done did it. However, it only took the jury an hour and 14 minutes to find Pennell's not guilty. Huh? Yeah. An hour and 14 minutes? That is not a long time at all, and they found him not guilty. I was going to say, that would make sense if they came back with guilty, but... Yeah. To me, that's very damning evidence. Yeah. That's blood. Especially the blood. Yeah. Hmm. Obviously, Kent police were surprised, but they accept the decision of the court. A joint statement from the Kent Police and the Crown Prosecution Service said that the greatest tragedy about the murder was that the woman bludgeoned to death without mercy was never identified. Even now we'd appeal to anyone who can help us name her to come forward so that finally we can end this awful mystery. And personally I do agree that that is the saddest part about these cases when the victim's never identified. Yeah, it's very sad. You know, there's nothing they can do. How did they come back with not guilty? Like, I don't see any doubt in any of the evidence they presented. Yeah. I mean, I didn't see the defense's um, argument, but that was only kind of like the prosecution's side of it. But still, like... But still, there's very... That's forensic evidence. And if you have evidence like that and circumstantial things, such as the witnesses seeing him with a woman at the mm-hmm. around the time and the fact that he was linked to all of these places particularly kent yeah it is baffling to me how it can't have been him yeah because like what could the defense have said to combat the forensics like you can't it's not but, like someone said this it's that's what was found in his van but if it was only small specks they could argue that you know, she'd had a nosebleed. They don't know how the blood got there. Oh. Especially if she was, a, you know, a hitchhiker or something like that. Maybe she cut herself. Maybe she... You don't know. Yeah, that's true. So they can't say that it was particularly from violence. Mm-hmm. Because he did admit that the hitchhiker he picked up could have been her. Yeah. But he said he dropped her off alive, so... There's no real way of telling. But I also feel like that's very uh, coincidental. So yeah. I don't know. It's so weird that there's just so much like forensics and stuff and evidence, but then it still doesn't feel like it's him. Mm. It's crazy to think that's how the courts work. Like, mm-hmm. even though it seems so obvious and you could say, yeah, well, how could it not be? Sometimes that's still not enough. Yeah. That's mad. Do you, you think he did it? I honestly don't think so. You don't um, think he did? No, because I think with hitchhikers, there's yeah. like a lot of, it's like prostitutes and hitchhikers, right? It's like the, the easiest targets and most common targets. Yeah, because you can't really trace them. Exactly. So I think maybe he did drop her off and then someone saw her or something. I don't know. Yeah, it's very easy to say he dropped her off and then she got in the next car for the next lift mm. and that was the killer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a difficult one. Because he did scary. say he dropped her off in London. 
yeah. as well, but she was found in Kent. Exactly. So she So she went... could have got a lift from someone else yeah. from London to Kent. So weird. Wow. It's just but then maybe the timings of everything wouldn't match up. I don't know. Yeah, that's true. Hmm. Hmm. Much to think about. I'm on the fence with it as well. It's hard. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to say. On one hand, there's that evidence. I think that's why they had to find him not guilty because Mm -hmm. you're telling yourself, well, how can it not be? Yeah. It makes sense. But then it also quite doesn't make sense. The more you think about it, the more you don't think it's him. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. So perhaps another lorry driver? Yeah. Or anyone really who gave her a lift? Could have been anyone. Anyone. Yeah, exactly. Um, But yeah, other than that, the only thing that's happened since then is in October 2007, the charity Missing People appealed to the public for someone to come forward and identify her, but again, nothing. Poor girl. Hmm. Especially because she clearly had a family. Yeah. She had a kid, one at least one child. But again, if she was a hitchhiker or mm. a pro- because she may have been working as a prostitute, we don't know if she had that kid with her. Like, That's if she was looking after it, she could have given it up. Yeah, that would make sense. Mm. But that's my case. That is the Bedgebury Forest woman. This is like, I forget how depressing it gets after reading some of these. <laughs> Especially yeah. when they're identified. It's so I'm just like, oh, I wish I could like somehow magically find out. Yeah. Should we move on to yours? Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to do my case now. It's a long one purely because you need to understand uh, the context around it for it to make sense and also to get an idea of the people who were involved in the crime. But I did cut out like a lot of random facts about the family and stuff that you really didn't need to know. So this is the case of Lacey and Scott Peterson. Oh, that's two. Well, it's the Petersons, yeah. Mm. So, Scott was born to his mother, Jackie, and father, Lee, on October 24th, 1972, in San Diego, California. Scott's mum met Scott's father at community college. Between the two of them, they had five children until they got married a year later, and then they had Scott. Scott's dad started a crating company. I don't know what a crating company is, which became the family business. Jackie owned a boutique, hell yeah, and the family were doing well. They were very well off. When I say very well off, they were very well off. There wasn't much said about Scott's upbringing, but growing up, his family said that he liked to hunt, he liked to golf, and he liked to fish. Once he graduated school, he he initially went to Arizona State University on a golfing scholarship. I didn't know that was a thing. Mm. very good at golf scholarship yeah you have to be good yeah he ended up getting kicked off of the golf team because he was partying too much drinking too much too many girls involved oh no i flushed it down the toilet that's not good needless to say he was getting carried away in college it gets like that sometimes same so he was removed from the team and he ended up transferring to another university So he ended up at California Polytechnic State University. Mm -hmm. And I don't ever want to say that university's name in its entirety again, so I'll be calling it Cal Poly from now on. Cal Poly. You're welcome. 
It was said as soon as he got to Cal Poly, that's when he started taking school a bit more seriously, and he actually became a model student. Hmm. At this point, Scott also decided to grow up a bit and started paying for things on his own instead of relying on his parents' money. Now we go to Lacey. Lacey was born on the 4th of May in 1974 to Sharon and Dennis, who also already had an older son named Brent. A year after Lacey's birth, Sharon and Dennis ended up divorcing and Sharon remarried to a man named Ron a year later. I'm sorry, it's a lot of names. Lacey lived with her mum, stepfather Ron and Brent and the family seemed to be really close. Even as Lacey got older, she seemed to be very close with them. Lacey and Brent would stay with her dad on the farm every weekend and that's where Lacey grew a love for gardening and things like that. Lacey's family were considered to be middle class and she grew up with an all-American lifestyle. She enjoyed cheerleading, she had loads of friends, etc. Lacey also went to Cal Poly in Mm. August of 1993. She received an Outstanding Freshman Award. Lacey ended up meeting Scott in December of 94 while visiting her friend who worked at the Pacific Cafe that Scott also worked at at the time. So I guess Scott showed an interest in Lacey. The two seemed to really hit it off. Lacey gave him her phone number and they started seeing each other. Lacey was really excited about Scott, so she ends up calling her mum and tells her that she thought he was the one. Already? They haven't even been on a date yet. I think they've skipped like a little bit, but it was very early on. Okay, I was going to say, she's like, I just gave this guy my number. I think he's the one. <laughs> so Lacey tells her mum to come out and to meet him. So she takes her mum to the Pacific Cafe that Scott worked at, and they were just going to have dinner. Um, but it was a way for Lacey's mum to meet Scott, because he was going to be their waiter. Scott greeted them at the door, held a special table for them. He had a dozen red roses for Lacey and a dozen white roses for Sharon, her mum. Oh, that's so cute. Mm-hmm. So Scott and Lacey were hanging out all the time as college students and would go over to Scott's parents' house to do some laundry, have a home-cooked meal, etc. Lacey and Scott's mum actually really hit it off as well. They both enjoyed gardening, but also they would watch Martha Stewart together. Such a random I just really like that. Them. Good for them. Yeah. Um, fast forward a few years, Lacey and Scott ended up getting married in August of 97. Both Lacey and Scott's families were pretty close as well. Everyone seemed to like each other. Everyone was really happy. Dun, dun. That sounds like a turning point that everything is not going to be happy very soon. Lacey or secretly someone wasn't happy. Who's to say? Got my thinking um, cap on. Put your thinking cap on. Lacey graduated from college in December of 97 and then Scott graduated the next summer. Once Scott graduated, they started to plan their next steps in life. Scott's parents gave him a part of their business, which he sold and used the money to open The Shack, which was a sports bar slash restaurant. When the couple was ready to settle down, they sold the business and moved to Modesto, California in June of 2000. Scott's parents gifted the couple $30,000. As you nice. do. I want my parents to gift me $30,000. Here you go. Here you go. Um, So they used that for a down payment on a home. So they're super excited. They bought a really cute little home nearby. And then Lacey got a job as a substitute teacher. Got worked as a sales rep for a fertilizer company. So they made a good amount of money and they started upgrading their home. Scott's dad gifted them another $30,000. But this was going to go towards the Del Rio Country Club, which is like a private club in Modesto where you have to be invited to be a member. You pay loads of money to them. You play golf. Tennis, drink, eat, bougie. Yeah, country clubs are bougie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So at this point, Scott and Lacey, they have their own home. They've been married for a little bit. They're doing well financially. They Babies? 
to have a baby. Um, yes, it's only natural that that bit came next. Uh, yep, you know the song. That's how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> so they tried for about three years to get pregnant, but they weren't having much luck at all. They started talking about the option of adoption. But then Lacey, surprise, surprise, she ends up pregnant. And it was said that the two of them were thrilled. And imagine after trying for that long. Yeah. Now, while Lacey was pregnant, she tried her best to stay fit. So she would go on long walks. She would take yoga classes, try and eat nicely, Mm -hmm. um, all that stuff. Later in her pregnancy, this is important information that you'll need later on. Lacey mentioned to family members that she was getting sick while she was walking. So like she's taking the dog out for a walk and she just gets uncontrollably sick. Like she was vomiting out. Yeah, like she was gonna vomit and pass out just walking the dog. Oh my god. Um, So she kind of sat for a little bit on a bench Mm -hmm. and then tried to go for the rest of the walk and it just happened again. So she started to talk to the doctor and he said that she should stop walking and start resting more. Yeah. So Lacey says that she stops walking. This might not sound important now, but it will be. But it is. Okay. So around November 2002, Lacey decided it would be best if she quit her job as a subteacher because the pregnancy was rough. She was not feeling well. She was very uncomfortable. And luckily for them, they were like financially able for her to like quit her job. It wouldn't have been detrimental if she did quit. Exactly. Also, randomly, but really importantly, during this time, Scott buys a 14-foot aluminium boat. And it's just like a, it's a meh boat. It's nothing special, but it was weird because he never mentioned to anyone, including Lacey, that he bought this boat. This seems very suspicious. Also, even more suspicious. Well, we know Lacey didn't know about the boat because she was the type of person who would say to her mum, Scott bought a boat. Yeah, she'd be like, oh, by the way. Scott bought a boat. Also, Lacey's father, Lacey's father was an avid fisher. He would tell Lacey's father that he got a boat, right? Yeah, he'd be like, hey, I got a new boat. You want to come fishing sometime? Exactly. Especially if they were close. It's also, I haven't noted it here, but just so you know, he stored the boat in the warehouse of his job. So it never came home. And that's why Lacey didn't know, because you'd know a big boat in your driveway. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Lacey was trying her best to handle the pregnancy. Scott Mm. was handling the pregnancy in other ways. So Scott had the the sound of that. Scott had an acquaintance, a female friend. Scott's female friend was like to him, Scott, 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 you need to meet this friend of mine. Her name is Amber Frey. And I think you two would really hit it off. First of all, who is this friend who's telling her married friend to go meet with this woman? Yeah. What? Exactly. It sounds like she's trying to set them up. Exactly. I thought the acquaintance was going to be the other woman. Yeah, same. When I first read it, I was so confused. Mm. So Scott's friend just basically talked him into going on a date with Amber and gave him Amber's number. It's not a great friend. Um, no, Scott but gets even, number. sorry, even though that's not a great friend, also he still chose to go. Well, here's some more tea about that. Oh. He chooses to call Amber and he leaves her a voicemail saying, hey, my friend, she mentioned you and she thinks we should connect. Amber then gets in touch with Scott. Some point during their first conversation, Scott describes to Amber what he looks like on the phone. And he's like, I'm not very tall. I'm overweight. I have a belly. I have greasy hair. That's what he tells Amber. This he didn't man, know that, did he? He looks like Ben Affleck. So he doesn't look anything like that. 
So my first thought was he's trying to downplay himself so that she would say no to the date because he physically couldn't say no to this date. Yeah, he didn't want to be rude. Yeah. Even so though he, he was just trying to make her decide. Yeah. But guess what? Amber really likes fat, greasy men. <laughs> Apparently. Oh my God, the bar is on the floor. On the floor. So she says yes to this day. So they meet at a bar in Fresno in 2002. This is November. After they meet at the bar, Scott said he needs to check into his hotel and asked if she wanted to come with him. Which is so random, like, come and check into my hotel with me, because I didn't do it before I got here. Oh, I thought I thought he was implying, do you want to come to the hotel with me? This man's not very, um, very good at flirting. So he got a hotel room, the two of them go into the room, and he decides to take a shower. But, like, a shower on his own. She's just sitting in the room, waiting yeah. for him to shower. This is boring. This is so um, weird. So Everything gets, about this is really weird. It's so weird. So he gets dressed for their date. They enjoy some champagne and some strawberries. And then they go out for something to eat. Must be nice while his wife's at home in pain, pregnant. Exactly. Jeez. So they talked about Amber being a massage therapist. He told her that he was single and living in Sacramento. And he had a job in a warehouse in Modesto. False. Liza Manelli lies. So Scott told Amber that he was going... This is so weird. He told Amber that he was going to Alaska for Thanksgiving and then to Maine. And then for New Year's, he was going to Paris. And then during January, he'd be traveling through the whole of Europe for business. <laughs> this, this is a shady man. So they go back to Scott's hotel room where Amber stayed with him that night. Hmm, I wonder what happened. So I'm not quite sure where Lacey was at this time. I'm assuming she's either at home or with her family. And I'm not sure what he told Lacey in order to go away with this. But yeah. I'm assuming he's at work. That's what so they all thanks- say. Exactly. So Thanksgiving approaches and Scott and Lacey, they went down to San Diego to stay with Scott's family. While they were there, they decided to go to Disneyland because that sounds like a great idea for Lacey who can't walk. Yeah, for a pregnant woman. Oh my God. It was said during that I trip. can't go on any rides or anything. Exactly. Because she's heavily she's pregnant. She's going to hold everyone back. Um, That's the worst trip ever. <laughs> So I don't know if they went for a proper trip or they just went for the day. Um, Regardless. Regardless, that's a very weird thing to do. But it was noted that Lacey was miserable. She was super sick. She was super uncomfortable. And so when they returned back home, Scott went for a date with Amber. (laughs) He was like, you suck. So they met up on the 2nd of December and they were going to go hiking. Amber was going to bring her daughter this time because Scott wanted to meet her. Jesus. Yes. After they went on their hike, they went back to Amber's house cook dinner, and then Scott stayed the night at Amber's. This was a day date. <laughs> yeah. What? So during this time, Scott was telling Lacey back at home that he was working, a work conference, a work meeting, he was working. Three weeks before Christmas, Lacey's grandmother, she passed away, and yeah. she left quite a bit of inheritance. The entire estate totaled around $2 million. Um, And that was going to be split between Lacey and her two siblings when they all turned 30. On December the 9th, Scott asked Amber if he could come over because he needed to tell her something. So he goes over to her house. This is not what you think is going to happen. He goes over to her house and when he gets there, he just sits at her kitchen table and starts sobbing. And she comes up to him and she's like, why are you crying? And he says, because I've lied to you. I haven't been 100% honest. And she said, well, why? And he said, 
I've been married once before and she just recently died. This is going to be my first Christmas without her. Dude, you have an alive pregnant wife at home. That seems like very big foreshadowing that he's gonna kill her. What? I don't know. I don't... I don't like this man. I know, he's a horrible man, right? When you see pictures of him, it's just like a, a normal white man. It's terrifying. That's the thing, they always look just like a normal white man. Yeah, so Scott tells Amber that he doesn't want any biological children and that her daughter would be enough for him and he offers to get a vasectomy. So Christmas is approaching. Scott tells Amber that he's going to be travelling around the next couple of weeks but he wanted to try his absolute best to keep their relationship going while he's travelling. Here we go. On the 15th of December, Sharon, Lacey's mum, goes over to Scott and Lacey's house and sadly this would be the last time she sees her daughter. That evening... Scott was supposed to cook lasagna for dinner, but he was running late from work. In air quotes. But he was obviously at Amber's house. Lacey ends up serving some like frozen food. Lacey's mum recalled that Lacey was really annoyed, but she didn't voice her frustrations to her mum, but you could tell she was annoyed. Yeah, don't blame her. Okay, here we go. It's the day. On the morning of Christmas Eve, Scott said that he woke up around 8 a.m., When he got up, he said Lacey was already up and she was eating a bowl of cereal because she had to eat first thing when she got up because if she didn't, she would get sick, apparently. This is all his saying. His point of view, yeah. Yeah. Lacey down the line, Scott said that when he woke up that morning, they ate cereal together. So his story did change a bit. Oh, I was going to say, I was like, what? I know. Scott said that he asked Lacey what she had planned for the day. And she said she was going to go for a walk that morning. Yeah. A walk. Uh-oh. And blinking really hard because she said she was going to go for a walk. What did Nothing she just stop doing? Sick. Going for mm-hmm. walks. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. The doctor told her not to. And she literally quit mm-hmm. her job so she could rest. Mm-hmm. She also said she was going to make some gingerbread cookies and then go to the store to buy some special bread for French toast in the morning. Huh? Before Scott took off that morning, he loaded three patio umbrellas into his truck to take to his warehouse. A neighbour saw Scott doing this, smiled and waved. He then went back and filled a mop bucket for Lacey so that she would clean while he was out. What? What Here you go, do your cleaning, No, do your cleaning, wife. (laughs) Oh my God. If you're not going to be in the kitchen, you better be cleaning. Can only do two things. Oh my God, what a horrible man. He tells Lacey, I'm going golfing. So he heads south, but he realises it's too cold to go golfing. So he went fishing instead at the Berkeley Marina, which was about 90 miles outside of Modesto. Before going fishing, Scott goes to his warehouse at work because that's where he has the boat. He goes there and he starts working on the computer for a bit, doing a bit of work. And then he ends up leaving at just before 20 past 11 in the morning. And you can see that from his computer timestamp. So he definitely was there. That's completely like undisputed. That's confirmed. Yeah. yeah. And he purchases a boating ticket at 12.54pm. So he okay. was even so there until about 1pm. When asked later on, Scott couldn't say what he was fishing for or what he used to fish with, like what kind of bait he was using. He didn't huh. have an answer. And it's December. He's gone fishing at one in the afternoon, which... I did some Googling, so I'm a professional fisher now. That's a terrible time to go fishing. That's like one of the worst times to go fishing. Oh, my God. And he would know that as well. Because he's a fisher. 
And his father-in-law yeah. is an avid fisher too. So even if you didn't fish before, you would have fished then. Yeah. Scott <sighs> that he went fishing. He gets out there on the water and he realizes that he's forgotten his bait, but he couldn't tell you what kind of a bait he thought he had. He was like, oh no, I forgot my nondescript, bait. not any particular bait. What an idiot. <laughs> he said he forgot it, but he still tried to fish anyway. And then decided to <laughs> head back. Just this man. <laughs> what? This man. This is why I wanted to tell you this, because this is just so stupid. You, I've never been fishing and I know that that's not going to work. You can't fish without bait. Fish won't come to you. Like, Ooh, shiny hook. Let me go latch my own face onto it. Yeah. <laughs> he decided to go back in because he got wet and cold. Right. So a few people said that they saw Lacey walking her dog around 10 a.m. that morning near the park. Mm-hmm. But their dog was found alone outside the home, like running around the block by itself. Oh. And it still had its lead on. Oh, so she never on went his... back home. Wait, yeah. Maybe. On his way home... Scott stops for gas at around 25 past three in the afternoon and he ends up back at his warehouse around 4.15. He loaded his boat back into storage and then went home within the next 30 minutes. When he got home, that's when he said he saw the dog was out in the yard with the lead still on. But he just removed the lead from the dog and went inside. You didn't question that at all? Just to him. Yeah, that that happens all the time. All the time. She just tells the dog to go home. There's that lead on the dog. Go, go take yourself for a walk, dog. As he walks inside, he also sees that the mop bucket is still out and full. He also doesn't see that as suspicious in the slightest. Come on, man. I have no words. After that, Scott said he went outside to grab the mail, and that's when he noticed Lacey's car in the driveway. He didn't notice it when he came home, first of all. What? This man has a bad story. This is, an all- um, this is the worst story I've ever heard. Exactly. He assumed that she was at her mum's house, so he took out some leftover pizza, poured himself a glass of milk, because that's a normal meal. Pizza and milk. And and did a load of laundry. Then he went to take a shower. Why did he do laundry? Don't get ahead of me now. (laughs) Scott said after he took a shower, he got ready and checked the answering machine. And that's when he realised that Ron, her stepdad, had left a message for Lacey. And that's when he said he knew something was wrong. All of that time. My guy. Because he knew something was wrong the whole time because he did it. And this is all a lie. At that point, he started to worry. He ends up calling Sharon and he's asking her, like, hey, is Lacey there? Which obviously she's not because why would Ron be leaving a message for her? Yeah. She says no. Scott tells her that Lacey's car was there and the dog was in the backyard with the lead on. And the whole thing was just weird. Sharon told him to call Lacey's friends. And she said she realised during this phone call, Scott used the word missing. Lacey's missing. And that's when she just had a sinking feeling in her gut that something wasn't right. So Sharon had Ron call the police. And while he was doing that, she headed out to the dog park to see if maybe Lacey had fallen. Sharon tells Scott to meet her there. But he didn't arrive until much, much later with the police. That night, about 70 to 80 people showed up to help search for Lacey. Sharon asked Scott where she was that day. He said that Lacey was supposed to go to the store, walk the dog, make gingerbread cookies, and that was really it. Ron asked Scott, my man Ron, oh my God. I'm picturing picturing Charlie from Twilight. (laughs) Ron asked Scott, did you go golfing? Scott said he didn't go golfing. He went fishing. 
Scott had told police that he was golfing. He did not tell the police that he went fishing. He only told Ron that he had actually gone fishing instead. Mm. Ron said, or Ron is an avid fisherman. He asked, what time did you go fishing at? And Scott said the time. He said, and Ron is like, what the hell? (laughs) Well, Scott said, I went at 9.30 a.m., which we know is a lie. And Ron came back and said, but that's the wrong time because you said you came home fishing at this certain time and you weren't fishing that long. Mm. Um, So I think Ron knew something was up. Police questioned Scott. They went inside the home to take photos. Police thought it was weird that Scott came home and did a load of laundry. He didn't do a full load. He just washed his own clothes. Oh, well, I mean, if you couldn't get any more obvious. On top of the washer, there was a whole pile of dirty rags. In the bedroom, there was a full basket of dirty clothes. Why didn't he do a whole load? Yeah, why didn't he wash those? Well, we know, but... We know. On the dresser in the couple's bedroom, Lacey's jewellery was still there, and her purse. Lacey always wore her jewellery. She had a couple of pieces that she only took off when she went to bed. If she was up, she was wearing her jewellery. It was a well-known fact from everyone that knew her. So after searching the home... And talking to Scott, that's when police had a feeling that he wasn't being 100% honest. What a surprise. But they also had nothing on him, so they just had to let it be. Police asked if they could go and see Scott's office. He's like, the warehouse. Yeah. Scott takes them there. Inside, they find his boat, a homemade anchor, and signs there were more anchors made in that area, but they weren't there. Oh, he dumped her body, didn't he? See, the thing is, that's what I was thinking. And then when I get to the end, it... It's not. Thinks, well, we'll Maybe. get there. Okay. But we, we know that he knows how to make anchors, and there, were, there was evidence that anchors were there, but they weren't there. The police talked to Scott and the family, and things weren't making sense. Lacey was 27 at the time, eight months pregnant, based off of what everyone was saying, she was having a difficult pregnancy. The fact that she was up possibly walking or running around doing errands just wasn't making sense. Plus, it was Christmas Eve. Most couples, married couples at least, have a long list of things to do before going to their family's house or having guests over. Oh yeah, it was Christmas Eve as well. You wouldn't just yeah. be like, oh. Why would you go golfing? Or golfing or fishing. <laughs> yeah. Police asked Lacey's family, should we be looking into Scott a little bit more? Do you get any weird feelings from him? Lacey's family said absolutely not. There's no way he did anything to her. They were adamant that he was not the cause of Lacey's disappearance. The what? media got, I know, right? How can you just rule Even after out, Ron please? was suspicious? Ron, you need to speak up, sir. God. The media got hold of this story and it was everywhere. Lacey's family would talk to the media. They believed that Lacey was alive somewhere. They were pleading with the cameras, like trying to talk to whoever had her. Yeah. If you're like, out please there, let her go. Her, release her all of that it's just heartbreaking to watch the videos honestly they really do believe that somebody had kidnapped her uh, probably holding her hostage until she gave birth at one point Lacey's whole family and scott did a tv interview now listen this is just oh god parents were looking at the screen and saying if you have Lacey, just let her go they cut to scott and scott just sat there and says well she may not be coming back and we kind of have to look at the possibilities dude what says that on tv does he's got one brain cell honestly so he was the only person who ever said anything around is he literally thinking like hmm 
how can I make myself look as suspicious <laughs> as possible? Yeah, exactly. What? Investigators, they go back out to Scott's place of work and they're just trying to find some things they can get him. Mm-hmm. Scott told investigators in the beginning that he would gladly take a polygraph test to prove that he had nothing to hide. He changed his mind. Scott confesses that he didn't tell anyone about the boat he bought and that he was nervous to speak with them because of the fact that he bought a boat without telling anyone. Also, his search history showed that he looked up bay tides and waves that day. Oh. It's almost like he was planning to go fishing and not golfing. Yeah. Because he said he was going to go golfing. I was like, actually, no. Too cold. Yeah. That's what he said. But why are you looking up the tides if that wasn't your plan? They start looking around Scott's waist. They notice that there's a lot of things that were moved around and different from the last time they were there. Someone had clearly cleaned up a bit. This time, though, police find some pliers in the boat, which had a long strand of black hair inside of them. Also, Did you have black hair? Well, I'll tell you in a minute. Oh, was it the... the... It's not Amber. Amber's fine. I need okay. to stress to you that Amber, had, had, like, she's really innocent. She's done nothing. Oh, she had nothing to do with it. Okay. Yeah, nothing. She's a really nice lady who just had no idea what was going on. And you'll see that in a bit. Tons of tips were coming into the police. About five different people said they saw Scott out at the bay that day Lacey went missing and no one saw him golfing. So this is now when They realised that he lied about the golf. Yeah, so now he has to change his story and say, I was fishing to the police. So now everybody knows that he was lying. On December the 29th, Amber Frey was at a party. She was talking to some friends about Scott and a friend that Amber is talking to recognises Scott's name because obviously they're all over the news. Yeah. He tells Amber that he may be in connection with a missing woman and gives her a tip line number where you can call and give information about the case. She calls up the tip line and she says, I've been having an affair with Scott. So this is huge for the police. They have Mm -hmm. Amber on the line and they say, would you be willing to record your phone calls with him? And she agrees. Um, Scott calls Amber on New Year's Eve. Mind you, and I wrote this in bold, he called Amber on New Year's Eve. Do you know where he was when he called her? Where? At Lacey's candlelit vigil. Oh, my God. Dude. What a horrible, slimy man. Dude. The call is pretty short, but it was recorded. Nothing much of interest came from that call. Meanwhile, during all of this, divers were searching the waters. And over the course of next week, they ended up searching the waters 15 times and never found anything, which is really important to remember. Okay. On another recorded phone call with Amber, she just lets Scott have it. She's really annoyed with him because he lied. He tells Amber on the phone that he took a polygraph test and passed it, but he said no to a polygraph test. Oh my God. Oh yeah. He also said that Lacey knew he was having an affair and she had accepted it. I just have such a look of disgust on my face right now. (laughs) Police at this time had placed secretly a GPS tracker on Scott's car and they were following his every move. Scott had made five different trips to the Bay Marina. He would pull up to the same exact spot and sometimes staying there for a while. Other times it was just a few minutes and many believed that he was going out there to see if police had found anything. Others thought he was maybe going out there to have a look at the water and clear his mind. We don't know why he was there. There was so much. Who goes out to the water to I wonder if she's in there. What the hell? He didn't um, know his mind. So, because there was so much media coverage on this, Scott Peterson sat down with Diane Sawyer for a TV interview. <laughs> During really? this interview, he confessed to the affair, but he said that he had told Amber that he was married, which is which cool. he hadn't. And also, there's no way of confirming because the only other person who would know is her. Yeah, exactly. He gets a little emotional and he starts to cry. 
and everyone at home was like just ripping apart his cry session because it was like it just looked so fake yeah so he had this i wanted to note this down he had tears streaming down his face and his cheeks and he never once wiped away any of the tears so it was like he wanted his tears he's really hamming it up yeah he wants you to know he's crying yeah so it just gets worse after this how can it get worse oh i'll tell you oh god after this Scott was laying pretty low then a car dealership comes forward saying that Scott just sold Lacey's car. What the hell? And he purchased a new truck. And just as you do. As you My do. wife's missing. I'm just going to sell her car. <laughs> Two more women came forward saying that they too had an affair with Scott within the last couple of years and both with similar stories. Oh my Scott God. Wine and dine them, make them feel really special. And once they found out he was actually married, they dumped him. This man. That was a that was a bit of a twist. I didn't think there would have been other yeah. times. From what it sounded like with the whole yeah acquaintance setting them up, it didn't sound like he wanted to. But exactly, you can definitely tell what he's saying and what actually happened. Yeah. In February of two thousand and three, that's when police asked Amber to stop recording the phone calls with Scott. They were worried that it might be used against her if they end up going to court. Amber's phone records show that he was calling her pretty damn often, though, even though they weren't recording it. On the 10th of February, which would have been Lacey's due date for baby Connor, they did name the baby. With great sadness, family and friends had another candlelit vigil at the park for both Lacey and Connor. (laughs) Don't want to do this. The 10th of February was also Amber Frey's birthday. Scott spent the day getting Amber's birthday present and trying to meet with her. He is crazy. Even after all this, he's still trying to meet up with her when it's obvious that she doesn't want to. Yeah, this man. What the hell? On the 18th of February, police were able to get another search warrant for his house. They don't find anything, but they were able to get Lacey's hair from her hairbrush and the forensic team was able to determine that the hair in the pliers was consistent with Lacey's hair in the hairbrush. But Mm. they couldn't say 100% it was hers because it was missing a follicle. Yeah, you can't test the DNA, you can just see if it's... Yeah, so it wasn't 100%, but it was most likely her hair. Yeah. On the 13th of April, on the northern side of the bay shore a small body was found and then the next day a full body was found one mile south oh no was this a baby investigators confirmed that it was indeed Lacey and Connor's body so Connor was not inside his mum Lacey's head and different limbs were missing Connor was missing from Lacey's body but for the most part his body was intact which led investigators to believe that he may have been inside of Lacey for many months after their death. The cause of death for Connor was that because Lacey died, he died. It's believed that Lacey was sunk with cement anchors similar to the ones that Scott knew how to make. There was no official cause of death because her body was in such bad shape. They also never found the anchors, but police felt that they had enough evidence to make an arrest. But at this point, Scott was missing. (laughs) what a surprise (laughs) jesus christ if a police they were able to track scott's whereabouts through his cell phone and realized that he was down in san diego they were able to locate scott at a golf club and his appearance was completely different why so he i'm gonna tell you what he did to himself and it's great he dyed his hair all of his hair blonde but it was more like an orange because he didn't tone it he also gave himself a um a goatee. He also dyed his eyebrows, by the way. 
I stick with my statement that this man has one brain cell because he what? gave himself a goatee and also dyed that blonde. Oh my god! So he was orange. Um, <laughs> how should I blend in? I know I'll dye all my hair bright orange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He was also driving his parents' car. He said the reason he wasn't driving his car was that he believed there was a GPS on it, which there was, so he wasn't wrong. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> inside the police, inside the car, police found all kinds of camping gear, fifteen thousand dollars in cash, three credit cards, his brother's passport, a Viagra. <laughs> what? <laughs> also weird because he bought a variety of dress clothes, like really nice dressy up button shirts, ties, dress shoes, dress trousers, suits. Like he was going from camping to really dressy. He said he was living out of his car to avoid media attention and also dyed his hair because the media was following his every move and he couldn't do anything without people recognising him. And he just wanted away from all of it. So he gets arrested, taken in. He was waiting for his trial, which was June 1st, 2004. The trial starts and it's a long one. Scott's team were focusing on police and how they handled the whole case, saying there was really no proof that Scott was the one who did this. There was no fingerprints, no DNA. The whole case against Scott was that he was having an affair and they found a strand of hair in his pliers. That was all the evidence they had against him. They also tried to push the narrative that Lacey was most likely killed by a satanic cult because she was missing all of her limbs. They also focus on the fact that the divers searched the bay 15 times and found nothing, making them believe that she was placed there later on. But Which is why Scott was being tracked, so there was no chance of him being able to place that body without the police knowing. You see what I mean? What uh, about all those times that he went and he was like looking at the water to clear his mind? They followed him. Oh, they followed they him like someone was actually watching him. Yeah. Okay. So, also, no witnesses saw him apart from the police either at the bay. So, uh. nobody could dispute their story. They were standing by the fact that there was no physical evidence saying that Scott did this for sure, without a doubt, which is doubt is what you need to not convict someone. Yeah. Um, a forensic expert testified about the pliers with the hair strand in it. So prosecutors say that the hair most likely belonged to Lacey, but DNA couldn't fully prove that it was her hair because there was no root at the strand. A criminalist for the State Department of Justice testified that the tests she conducted on the pliers showed that the pliers had been used recently to cut something. The forensic expert also testified that she saw no signs of blood or human tissue on the pliers which is what should have been on there if there was hair on there. Scott's defence lawyers theorised someone you would, have, you would have had some sort of blood or like tiny bit of skin tissue if you'd pulled out someone's hair. Oh, no, but what if it had just like fallen off? But it was in the pliers, so he would have, or someone would have. But yeah, I'll get onto that later because it is a bit dodgy. Yeah. So the defence lawyers theorised that someone kidnapped Lacey, held her hostage until she gave birth, and then dumped both the bodies in the bay. The reason they think this is because Scott was not home when Lacey was spotted walking the dog. So he was already gone and she was still alive. There were 11 witnesses in the neighbourhood who saw Lacey walking the dog that morning, but the police only questioned three of those witnesses. That's dodgy. Yeah, if that's, that's true, then the blame shouldn't necessarily be put on Scott because he was at his office and they have record of that and he was at the computer. Amber Frey ends up testifying in court, tells them everything. The jurors listened to the recordings of their phone conversations, which just proved that she was telling the truth and Scott was a liar. Mm-hmm. Um, the prosecution presented Scott's affair, financial problems and fatherhood as motives for murdering. He killed Lacey due to his increasing debt and a desire to be single again. On the 12th of November 2004, the jury convicted Scott of two counts of murder. 
first degree murder for killing Lacey, second degree murder for killing their baby. The judge followed the jury's verdict by sentencing him to death by lethal injection and calling the murder of Lacey cruel, heartless and callous. Scott's attorney, though, filed a 423-page appeal of Scott's sentence, which he stated that the publicity surrounding the trial and other mistakes deprived him of a fair trial. I now, disagree. that was 2004. August 24th, 2020. Oh, recently. The Supreme Court of California upheld Scott's conviction but overturned his death sentence because Scott's trial judge, he had dismissed jurors who opposed capital punishment without asking them whether they could put their views aside. Because usually you ask Uh, them about their views on capital punishment, and if they say they can't put that aside, then they have to go. But he just got rid of all of them. Okay. Scott will probably sit in prison for the rest of his life, but I think he's going to get a new trial, like, soon. He's going to have a retrial. Oh, Yeah. So there are some theories, because a lot of people don't think he did it. Someone said that they believe that someone abducted her while she was walking the dog which would make sense if the dog was by itself. And Scott yeah. was already gone, so we know it, he didn't have anything to do with that. And then they had the opportunity to frame her husband for the crime because they could have taken her from her hairbrush and then placed it into the pliers. Mm-hmm. And they said that someone had gone back to the warehouse a few days later and moved things around. But it wasn't him because he was already GPS tracked then. So that's That's weird. Someone said that Lacey was abducted and killed trying to intervene in a burglary that was happening across the street, which there was a burglary happening about an hour after Scott left and an hour before the dog was found. Hmm, that also makes sense. The last theory is that she was abducted and killed by a satanic cult who wanted her baby because the head and the limbs were missing, which is usually their way of doing things. But then they left the baby, so I don't believe in that one. Yeah. It's a bit of, it's a bit far fetched. Also, yeah, it's far fetched, but also they knew that the baby died while inside the mum. Yeah. So why would they That's what I was gonna say yeah. about um what was I gonna say? If she was kidnapped by someone and they waited for her to give birth, mm-hmm. she can't have given birth. Because, exactly. Because yeah. he died because she died. Yeah, that was his cause. He was still death. inside her. He was still inside her because he So died. that that theory of her being kidnapped and they waited for her to have the baby doesn't make sense either. I would not be surprised if somebody they knew killed her and framed him because he sounds like a dickhead. He does, but all of their family really liked him. If you look at news articles of, um, because the trial's going on right now, not a trial, but like um, stuff to see if he should get a new trial. Yeah, like they're still investigating again. It's going on right now on Zoom. (laughs) And the families are both doing interviews and everyone's like, he did not do it he's lost his life just like connor and Lacey have like they none of the families believe that he did this which is a bit even ron sticks by this man really even though like even if they think that he didn't do it Mm -hmm. the way they're defending him sounds like they still really like him yeah you've still seen how he treated Lacey. he had three regardless of whether you think he did it or not yeah he he was a bad man and he had three affairs. They should not be very good like, at charming. happy about... Well, obviously his family might stick up for him more, but Lacey's family, yeah. I'm surprised that they would still um, yeah. care about him so much, it, yeah. if you know what I mean. If I was murdered and all signs pointed to my husband and my mum was like, he didn't do it, I'd be like... I'm <laughs> holding be in your grave like, oh my God. Oh my god. Like, how could you believe someone who 
only related to you through your daughter's marriage yeah. over evidence. Oh, so you've yeah. seen what he did. So I'm in the middle because the whole story makes it sound like he did it and he was yeah. convicted yeah. of it. But And everything is so suspicious around him. like Right? But then I also think the evidence of the fact that he was nowhere near the area and we know it for a fact the last time she was seen is suspicious to me. What if he had an accomplice? I don't think he big-brained any of it. Yeah, like, he he's not smart enough for that, but at the same time, it would explain a lot of it. I don't know, the framing thing just doesn't make sense to me. I think that he killed Lacey, like they said, so he could live the single life. But then I was thinking, why would he kill his child? But then I'm like, well, that's also so he could live the single life. Yeah, he didn't want that responsibility. He said as well that he didn't want he any get a vasectomy. Yeah, he didn't want any biological children. He just wanted Amber's daughter. Exactly. So it's clear he didn't want oh, a family. There's so much back and forth between this case, which was why I was excited to talk about it. I'm like thinking so hard right now. Because <laughs> I don't want to give this guy too much credit and say he's being smart, because I don't think he is. No, he sounds like a very stupid man. And regardless yeah. of whether he did it or not, I do not like him. Bad man. Mm-hmm. Everything's just really strange about it to me. Yeah. Part of, when you read it, you think it's really him. From the, the beginning, movie. it sounds like him, but then the fact that the police are following him. There was no way he could have hidden her body without police seeing any of that. I don't know. I still think it was him, though, but I don't know why. Like, I can't tell you why, but I just think it was. Yeah. yeah. Well, that Somehow was my, it was. That was my case that I was really excited to do this whole time because I forgot to do it on the first episode of Internet Sleuth Law. I like this case. So next week, we're creepypasta number two. Yeah. And it's my turn. And we're going to have face cams. Oh, yeah. We're going to do that. My one, it won't be scary. I'm just going to let you know. <laughs> I'm terrible I'll try and at pretend day. that I'm scared a little bit for you. Yeah, do that. Because <laughs> I've got, I've already got a story in mind. So, I, but like, I it's not scary. It's one of those where you're like, hold on a minute. You know something you just said before. You know, like um in the first one when you were like you were like to me, Eleanor. He just the yeah. The, like, do you realize what just happened? Like, yeah, it's one of those. So I will have to. I be like that. I like those kind of stories. Happened. Yeah, because when I read that umbrella bit in my one that did get my heart racing a little bit i was like oh god yeah. wait i can confirm that it it is about skinwalkers we love it we do love skinwalkers my favorite things ever but not my favorite but not ever. really <laughs> but yeah um but yeah that's it from us do you think we solved the cases today no <laughs> <laughs> we're not doing very well we're gonna have to start like I don't know how to actually solve them, but I think both of the cases today were similar in the sense that people have been tried, mm-hmm. and in your case, convicted even, but... They still don't think it's It's hard them. to tell. Yeah. It's really hard to tell whether it was them or not, because on one hand, you could read it as like, oh, of course they did it. But on the other hand, you could be like, well, how could they have possibly have done it? Yeah. It's definitely a bit of a mind fuck, these two. Mm-hmm. So that's it from us today. If you enjoyed, please support us in any way you can. We would really appreciate it. 
whether that's liking, commenting, subscribing, adding to your Spotify library. <laughs> We're now also available on Apple Podcasts. So if you use that, then you can find us on there too. We're Not Sisters yeah. podcast. Follow us on Twitter at We Not Sisters. You can keep up to date with us. We've started using the Twitter more now, actually. Yeah. You can follow us for non-podcast related things. We've also made a TikTok. Hell yeah. And I'm going to start using that. I, I would have uploaded it by the time you see this. Go check it out. I made a Twilight TikTok. <laughs> oh my God, I'm very excited to see that. I haven't seen it yet. But yeah, I think that's it from us today. So we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.